views expressed on this broadcast of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger do not necessarily reflect those of Take 12 Radio, KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, or our affiliates. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Alan Berger and the Monty Man. Greetings, family. It is another wonderful day broadcasting to you from the studios of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting in beautiful downtown Albany, Oregon. Where the sun came up right today, the birds are singing on key, and even the leaves and the trees are waving hello. Okay, so what are we talking about uh, this week? Well, this week's topic is differentiation, and it's such an important concept to help us look at and understand this whole issue of emotional sobriety. So what we want to do is kind of dig into this and then help our listeners understand the relevance of differentiation to the process of emotional sobriety and then to um, apply it in your life so that you can see that it can give you I think some important clues on how to better hold on to yourself in relationships. So that becomes an es- just an essential part of this whole thing that we're trying to teach people, Monty, is is how to keep that balance in their life that Bill talked about. Uh-huh. And, and this differentiation, this whole concept, I think can help a lot with that. Um, you, you know, it's interesting because... Uh... I I have noticed a lot. I mean, I thought I noticed before, but man, my eyes have really been open since we've been doing the show. Uh, every time we turn around, and Marsha listens to the show, my my wife, and every time we turn around, we're looking at each other, going, "Man, they need to learn how to unhook." <laughs> yeah. Well, that's such a great man. concept to have. And what what our listeners are going to understand tonight is what hooks us is this low level of differentiation. So let's go ahead and start to talk about that so our listeners can get an idea of what we mean. So differentiation is a concept that Dr. Murray Bowen applied to human development. And what he believed is that we all started, just like a cell starts, we all start our development in a state of undifferentiation which means that we can be highly influenced by what's going on around us. Now, this is very popular today in the media because we talk about, there's a lot of talk about stem cells. Now, a stem cell is an undifferentiated cell. So the hope is, is that we could take that stem cell and, let's say, place it in a person's knee. I'm talking about knees because I've got a lot of cartilage that has been removed from my knee, so I uh-huh. can use to grow some new ones. So the idea is is that we'll put stem cells in a knee, and then those cells will now turn into cartilage. Because there's a a very interesting thing that happens. An undifferentiated cell will take on the DNA of the cells that are surrounding it. So if those other cells are cartilage, then what's going to happen here is that it's going to now turn into a a cell that's going to grow more cartilage in that person's knee. So what happens is is that as the cell goes through um, differentiation or as it starts to get specified in its functioning, 
that later on it won't be as influenced by what's going on with the other cells around us. It's going to be specialized. So what Bowen said was that people go through the same level of development. They start from a very, very undifferentiated stage. If our family does its job, then what they're going to do is they're going to help us differentiate. They're going to help us grow into the person that we are. They're going to help us reach our true potential, right? Right. Realize our true self. Well, that rarely happens for a lot of different reasons mm. that we get sidetracked and we, you know, try to become what we think we should be. And, you know, I talk about it as we become a false self, right? We right. think that who I am is not good enough. I have to become this idealized version of myself in order for people to love me, to accept me, in order for me to belong. So at that point, what's happened is we stopped our level of differentiation, honey. And so what that means is that we become very much dependent on what's going on around us to feel okay about ourselves. We, we've, dwar we've dwarfed our growth, our maturity process. Exactly. Yeah. See, at that point in time, now we are depending on either people, places, or things to make us feel okay about ourselves. Another way to say it is that because of our low differentiation, we become dependent on others' validation or on other validation, other-centered validation. So our validation comes from what we have or our validation comes from being accepted by someone or being successful or achieving this or an outcome of a situation. So what that does is that makes us very, very dependent mm -hmm. on our environment for us to be okay. So that means that, now let's think about it this way, that each of us has an emotional center of gravity. If your emotional center of gravity is in yourself, just like when your physical center of gravity is over your feet, you're well balanced. You're in a very good position to respond. Well, when your emotional center of gravity is taken from within you and put, in, and put outside of you, when it's externalized, then now it's so easy for us to get knocked off balance emotionally we end up going around like we're nuclear reactors, reacting to everything that's happening around us, and we've got no center. Yeah. The only time that we feel centered is when other people are treating us the way we want to be treated, when other people are following the rules we have for what they're supposed to do for us to feel okay. So this whole thing on differentiation is really at the heart of this emotional sobriety issue. You follow me? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. It is so important because if if my differentiation is low, it's going to be very hard for me to have any emotional sobriety. And this is the thing, Monty, that Bill Wilson realized. He realized that his differentiation was incredibly low and that he had to now grow up. Well, what did grow up mean? Grow up meant to raise his differentiation. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let, let, can I interrupt you just for a minute? Just let me interrupt just for a minute. Is right. is 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 this what can be known in let, let's let's look at meeting dependence, where people become so dependent on the meetings, the twelve step meetings, that if they don't get to a meeting, they're going to drink. Yes, 
Exactly. Yeah. See, and, that, and that's even Bill recognized that. Even how he it was even more subtle in Bill's recognition. Remember when he said he had to cut off all of his faulty dependencies? Yeah. And it, and he included his dependence on AA. Yeah. Now people would scratch their heads. Well, what does that mean? How can you be unhealthily dependent on Alcoholics Anonymous? I mean, isn't AA replacing one dependence with a better dependence? And what we learned from Bill Wilson is that's not the purpose of the steps. See, the purpose of the steps are help are to help you learn to grow up, to help you learn how to achieve emotional well-being on a daily basis. And the only way we can do that is to become more differentiated or to become more mature. Right, right. Otherwise, we're just we're just going. And you talked about it before. Uh, we're we're leaving one toxic relationship for and getting into another one and then leaving that one well, exactly. getting into another one. It's going to have the yeah. same problem. It's going to create the same problems. So this is an important thing, and I'm glad you bring this up, Monty. Is that the goal of the principles, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, are to help us function better, not to change one dependence from alcohol to now our dependence on Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, does that happen in the beginning? Is that part of early recovery? Yes. You know, it happens for everybody. We have to have dependency on our parents in order to grow up. But if it's if it's a dependency that's meant met in the right way, it's going to result in us becoming more of ourself and to realize our true self and not for us to get lost. Who God See, really that's the difference between AA and cults. A cult doesn't want you to be yourself. Right. It wants you to conform. It wants you to follow the rules of the call. That's right. That's right. And Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the program is to help you become your true self. To be, become the, the person God intended you to be all along. That's a great way to say it, Bob. Yeah. That's a great way. And see, that's very different than when you're in a cult. And that's why all these people who talk about it, in fact, it was even on TV, Katie Couric had someone on this last week, I think a couple people on that were very critical of the 12-step program, and I'm fine. People can criticize it all day long, because the criticism needs to be looked at and see if there's any truth to it. But what they were saying is, is that it really operates in a cultish way, and I really think that that's a misconception. Well, they're, they're looking at... To be shattered. They're looking at a limited... Uh, they're looking through limited glasses. They're, they're seeing... Uh, some people in a fellowship and the way they're behaving, they're not looking at the program. Well, that's a great way to say it. See, you, you cannot say that the program is the, based on who the members are in the right. program. Right. The program <laughs> is separate. It's, it's, so if we differentiate you know, the program from the members, we would say there's members in the program that are very unhealthy. You know, what do we say? We're here because we're not all here. Right, I think, right, right. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. Yeah. But it would be a big mistake to say that the program is this in that way because the program is not. It's just a set of very powerful uh, spiritual and psychological principles. Yeah, you bet. So, okay, you were, um, and I interrupted you. I, I didn't need no, to. No, no, it's a uh, good, great interruption. I'm glad we took this side. But let me just talk a little bit about differentiation okay. and what it looks like. And, and how somebody functions. So let's first of all talk about a person with low differentiation. All right. So if we have low differentiation, or in a better way to say this is, the lower our differentiation, the more rules we're going to have about how other people are supposed to behave. Okay, let's, let's say it again. My the differentiation lower... is low. 
okay. then you have to behave a certain way for me to be okay. Right. And so what I do is I generate all these rules and try to convince you that if you love me, you'd follow my rules. And that's <laughs> those enforceable—that's those you unenforceable know? rules. Yes. Yeah. Those are those unenforceable rules. Virginia Satir, a very famous family therapist, said this. She says, "We impose on marriage all kinds of impossible demands that love and marriage really can't meet. Things like if you love me, you wouldn't want to do anything without me. You know, if you oh, love me, boy. you'd do what I want." If you love me, you'd know what I want even before I ask you. And if you love me, you wouldn't be telling me that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And a lot of people operate. I've operated from those, you know, ridiculous rules at an earlier point in my life. I, I hope I've let go of some of those at this particular time in my life. But, you know, I can relate to those things. I have sure. kinds of unenforceable, unreasonable expectations. So at low levels of differentiation, we're very fused, Monty. It's like we become emotional Siamese twins with our partner. It's so there's no respect for differences. In, in when our differentiation is low, any difference is experienced as a threat to the relationship. Mm. So if you want to do something different than I do, then I would be threatened by that because my differentiation is low. Um, now, as the our differentiation raises as it increases we no longer experience that so in a healthy relationship separation or differences are just experienced as another dimension of connectedness not a disruption of it so it's a whole different experience as we raise our differentiation we have less rules about what other people need to do we don't pressure other people to change we pressure ourselves to change to be a better person we stop blaming other people. At low levels of differentiation, we blame people because we feel the other people are making us feel this way or that way because they are, because our differentiation is so low. Oh, so okay. So you're saying that, that if our differ, differentiation is, is that low, that we, we are definitely influenced by what other people do. So, totally. See, absolutely. That's an interesting thing yeah. in therapy, right? You'll, you'll see that a new therapist, if, if a couple is saying, or one person and a couple is saying to the other person, you're making me feel this way, then the therapist will intervene and say, nobody make, can make you feel anything, right? You've heard that right, a lot. Right, right. Well, the truth of it is, is that other person is making them feel that because they don't have any self. Right, right. See, see and it would be better to point out that they don't have a self, which is what's making that person make them feel that way. Rather than just telling somebody nobody can make you feel that way. Yeah. Because it's much more complex than that. Right. So that's what happens at low levels of differentiation. We're very fused with our partner. Yeah. Got it. Highly fused with our partner. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is, is we want to raise our differentiation. So we want to start respecting differences. You know, that's one of the things that we need to do is respect our differences. We need to... Um, hold on to ourselves, which is to honor ourselves more. And we're going to get into this probably more after our break. But I just want to give listeners that as our differentiation raises, we have less expectations on how other people are supposed to behave for us to be okay, because we can regulate ourselves. We can validate ourselves. So as my differentiation raises, my self-esteem goes from other validated self-esteem to self-validated self-esteem. 
And, and so this, it's a very much different experience. So let, let me interject here on the spiritual side of this. If <clears throat> if I left to my own devices, I am powerless over other people's choices, which is something when I learned that, man, it set me free <laughs> um, uh, over uh, the alcoholism uh, or, the you know, the alcohol and so forth and so on. Um, <clears throat> but in, in working these steps and learning how to apply these spiritual principles and having had a spiritual awakening as a result of steps that were worked, I realized <clears throat> that the only person I could be dependent on was a power greater than me. It had to be God because he didn't move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't let me down. But if I if I even put it all my dependency even on my own limited resources, I can be in trouble, right? Right. You know, and this is an interesting question, is that what what is the experience we have with God when we have a low level of differentiation? See, what I would suggest to you, Mark... Same thing, right? ...that people's relationship with God changes depending on their level of differentiation. Absolutely. See, when they have a low level of differentiation, they're going to expect God to do everything for them. Yeah, and if he doesn't come through, then he really doesn't love them. Yeah, see, it's back to that same problem. Same problem. As a person's differentiation raises, then God is not someone that's going to do it for you. It's, it's, it's more of a collaboration, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You God got... can support me while I do it. But my my I will get support from God, but I'm going to have to still get into the right action. You know, I was I was I was at a uh, I was at a Bible study the other night, and uh, the pastor said something, and it made me think of our discussions because he said, you know, when people come up to you and say, I give you a compliment, boy, that song you sang or that paper you wrote, it really touched me. And then the person says, well, it wasn't me; it was God. He says, it's interesting because people that usually say that are wanting you to compliment them again. And um, he, he says, I tell people, I could have sworn I saw your lips moving. Yeah, it's good to give God the credit, and it, and it probably is due to him. But you have to step out on obedience. You have to actually respond to the call of God, whatever that is in your life. So it's okay to say, you know what? Thank you for that compliment. I am really glad that God was able to use me to bless you. See, there's a yeah, whole there whole uh-huh. different attitude there. Yes, yes, very yeah. different. Yeah. See, so so in that way, you know, it, it changes our relationship, becomes less of a passive relationship, and much more of a proactive relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take our one and only break right now, and when we come back, more with Doctor Allen Berger. Check it out. Hey, everybody, don't go away. Much more coming with Dr. Allen Berger and myself. But first, I wanted to let you know that every week we have brought back to you an updated step-by-step towards emotional sobriety with our friend Dr. Allen Berger. uh, And that is located at Take12Radio.com. Simply click on the Recovery Workshop banner, and then click on Step-by-Step Towards Emotional Sobriety. And every week, we will bring you another show until we run out of the entire series. There's a whole lot more to come, 
And we've got some very special guests that really know their stuff when it comes to what Bill Wilson called the next frontier, emotional sobriety. And also don't forget that you can access all of our shows, including these, on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Simply search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. So in just a second, we'll return to our show for this week. Trisha's having a sleepover tonight. Can I go? I wonder about Lucy's friends. What should I say? I know you're only 10, but one of these days a friend will offer you a drink. And alcohol at your age can lead to so many things. None of them good. So can I go to the sleepover? Lucy, I want you to promise me something. I finished my homework. (laughs) Bigger promise. If there's any drinking, I want you to say, no thanks, not my thing. Mom. I promise you, your real friends won't care. Deal? Sure. Really? I promise, Mom. They really do hear you. Did you pack your toothbrush? For tips on how to start the talk, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. A public service message from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Alrighty, let's rejoin the conversation with Dr. Alan Berger and myself on the topic of differentiation. Well, let's dig a little bit more into this uh, whole differentiation issue because I really want people to start to get an idea of this. And we really want to focus now on what can people do to raise their differentiation. Mm -hmm. let, let me talk about what, how we respond to stress in a relationship um, when, we, um, when we're fused, when our differentiation is low. So here's the first thing. So there's typically three ways that we react to other people. And in my book, 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone, I elaborate on this. So if any of you are listening to this and you want to dig into this a lot more, then please get a hold of the 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone. You can get it off the Hazleton website or it's available on Amazon. So here are the three things, Monty. The first, and these are not in order, not meaning that this is not what people do first and then second and third, because we can do any one of these things, in fact, we are going to have a dominant way that we react. Mm-hmm. Now, we can do all three of these things, just like your, if you're right-handed, you still use your left hand, but you typically respond in one of these ways mostly, and then you go to the other ones when that doesn't work. So the first one we'll talk about is moving towards people, and that's the classical people-pleaser. So what we do in order to reduce our fear that we're going to be separated from, we're not going to get our that person's love and acceptance, we move to them and we say, I will be whatever you want me to be. I will please you. I will ignore my own feelings, and my job is to serve you and to take care of you. Those are danger, dangerous compromises. Well, that's the, what do we call that? Codependency, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's the classic description of codependency. You know, here we're talking about it as emotional dependency. People do that in order to be, get that person's love. Now, that's one way. There's two other things that people do as well. The second thing that people do is they try to control or dominate or they rebel against that other person. So they try to get that other person's love by demanding that that person do this or that to love them in a certain way. If so so it's like if you don't yeah. change, if you don't change, I'm walking out. 
if you have a threat, yeah. they would say, if you love me, you do this. They take control of the other person. If you were a better person, you would behave this way, which really what the person's saying is that you've got to do what I want you to do, for, for um, and you've got to do it my way. And see, so that person takes control of the other person, and there's no room for the other person in it. Mm-hmm. So the first solution the person erases themselves to please the other person. The second solution is controlling. That person erases the other person and tries to take control of that person. Wow. So both of these solutions erase somebody. It just depends who you're erasing, right? Yeah. That kind of thing. The third issue is people just withdraw, and they say, I don't need you. I don't need this relationship. I'm not going to let you be important to me, so I'm cutting this off. So they emotionally withdraw, they physically withdraw. Um, I call that the Nike solution, that you run away, right? Mm-hmm. Now, all three of these, all three of these solutions keep you emotionally immature. They don't help you grow up. They don't help you become more differentiated. To be more differentiated, and please, if you're out there listening to this, really take some time to soak this up. You have to stay connected when there's trouble and add more of yourself. So here's the formula to differentiation. is staying connected with our partner and just bringing more of ourself to that connection. When you do that, when you don't run away, when you don't try to control, when you don't try to please, and you just stay present to what's going on and add more self, then you're going to start differentiating. So let me get to an example. So let's say uh, Mary and Bill are having an argument. Okay. Um, Bill says to Mary, look, you know, I'm just really unhappy with uh, what's been going on in our relationship. You know, you're just not giving me what I need. So if what Mary would do, if she was a people pleaser, she would say, Oh, I am so sorry, Bill. I'll do anything you want. Please tell me what you want. Right? That's right. what people please do. Right. So she would. Now, if she was the other one, the controller, she would come back to Bill and say, "Well, listen. I don't. You know, you are so demanding. You're insatiable. You know, there's nobody in the world that's going to be able to please you. So that person now takes control of the other person and says, "You don't have any. Your rights are all wrong." <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, that, that's what yeah. that person's essentially saying. The the third way, the person would just say, "Look, I'm I'm sick and tired of these arguments. I'm not talking to you. I'm going up to my room." Right, right. <laughs> you know, and so those are the three scorn. responses. Now, yeah. a healthy person that was trying to raise their differentiation would say, "Well, you know, Bill, when you say that, my first response is to want to get a little defensive." But I'm not so sure even what you're asking for. So I'm not going to get defensive right now. I want to explore this with you. So what are you really wanting from me that you're not getting? And I'll take a look at it, and I'll, you know, I'll consider your feelings, but I'm also going to consider myself here, too, and see if that's something that's possible or not, and then we'll see where we go from here. So what that person does is they introduce themselves into the, to the situation. They say, I'm interested in you, but I'm not going to compromise my integrity. Mm-hmm. So if we can find a way where this can be a win-win, I'm all for it. But if you're going to expect me to give stuff that's compromising me, 
I'm not interested in that kind of a relationship. So this person adds more self. They make, you know, in this case, Mary would be making Bill important, but she would be making herself equally important. Yeah, so it's like it's it's like it, it, I've had my my wife has said to me before. You know what you're what you're sharing? That sounds like that's really important to you. Let's let's talk about that. You right. Know, yeah. Say it now, now let's say if she said it's really important to you. Now let's say it's not as important to her. You know what she would say then? Say, honey, look, it sounds really important to you. This is not as important to me, but because I'm interested in you, I want to know more about it. So you see how she would add more right, help to it? Right. 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 She would bring herself in instead of feeling like, oh, well, if it's important to you, it's got to be important to me, too. Well, it may not be. And that's okay. Right, right. Because, See, because I've told my son before that, uh, that has been recently married. I said, sometimes, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've, I've been a, an in-law. Uh, sometimes what's important to your spouse um, even if it seems silly to you, because it's important to them, you need to be able to validate that and not put them down for it just because okay. you don't see it. Here's, so here's the interesting thing. I don't know if you need to validate it. Right. But you can respect it. Yeah, okay, there you go. See what I would and say? Then, and then they feel validated. So you have to validate it. Then you've got. you might feel like you have to acknowledge that it's important. You could respect it and say, look, I can see this is important to you. It's not that important to me. And I'm glad you're telling me what's important to you. I think that's important for us to have in our relationship. And it's important for me to be honest with you that I'm not in the same place with you on this. Right. I love you and I'm interested in you and I want to talk to you about it, but I just want to be clear that that's not as important to me. Yeah, because cause later on, if you say it's important to you and it really isn't, and then you don't respond the way that other person would expect uh, you to, yeah. if it was important to you, you're going to be in deep weeds. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So what we're saying, Monty, and, and I talk about this a lot in my new book, especially in terms of what are the characteristics of a healthy relationship. My new book is on steps 8, 9, and 10. It's called The 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends. And one of the hidden rewards is that we really learn how to have healthier relationships. And the model for a healthy relationship is what's called the I-to-thou relationship. And, and while that sounds all philosophical and wonderful, but what it simply means is that when I relate to you from this I-to-thou position, it means that I'm important and you're important. It means that I'm a subject in this discussion and you're an equal subject in this discussion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to manipulate you to have you be what I need you to be. You're not trying to manipulate me. We're just coming together, and we're meeting, and and we're having an encounter with each other's true essence. See, that's what a, that's what a healthy relationship looks like. Dr. Kempler said to me, he used to say, in order to be more personal, you have to stop taking things personally. <laughs> and see, in an eye-to-thou relationship, you don't take things personally. You're really seeing the other person as who they are, and they're seeing you. And you're wanting to be seen. You're, you're, you're being vulnerable. You're opening yourself up to that other person. So that's when we're doing that, when we can create that, we're in a healthy relationship. 
but it means adding self. You can't get to know me unless there's a me in it, right? Yeah, see, yeah. See, and, and a lot of times, this is, this is the, the thing that's very exciting to me. See, we've all learned a myth, and that myth says love is about sacrifice. And how we've all understood that is that you've got to leave yourself out of a relationship for a relationship to be good. I, that's that's a misinterpretation of that of that statement. Love is sacrifice. A total misinterpretation, yeah. but it's unfortunate, uh, unfortunately, a mis- an interpretation that most people take on. Money, sure, sure, is thinking that that it's about sacrifice. That the ultimate act of love is for me to deny myself into into honor yourself, right? That kind of thing, which isn't honoring uh, at all. No. You can't honor somebody else if you're not honoring yourself. Right. Get that clear first. You can't love somebody else unless you're loving yourself. See, you've got to be in. We've got to be in in some way. So a sacrifice, if it's done, what I would call obligatory sacrifice, if it's done because you feel you have to, you should sacrifice, it's not really a sacrifice. It's a manipulation. Ah. I'll sacrifice to get you to love me. But a true sacrifice is given with an open hand. And see, that's what true love is. Ah. It's where we act with each other in a way where there's no strings attached. I give to you what I want to give to you freely. And I give it to you with an open hand. You can take it, and you can appreciate it, or do whatever you want to, but there's no strings attached. You can do whatever you want. When I gave it to you in the right spirit, that's my reward for giving. So, see, so the other thing we learn when we work steps eight, nine, and ten, right, is that we learn that doing the right thing is the reward in itself. It's not that exactly. we do the right thing to get other people to forgive us or to validate us. Is we do the right thing because it's the right thing. And how many of us have been guilty of uh, doing something for someone else? We see the need. We say, "Oh, I can do that," and I'll go fill the need, and then. The other person doesn't respond right away or doesn't say thank you in the way we think they should. And we're still waiting for some sort of validation that we did something good for them. Yes. Yeah. And then we're, and then, and then we're hurt. Then we're hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this is why my sponsor early on in my recovery, he knew I was one of these, these, uh, these validation junkies. And he says, <laughs> I want you to do something for somebody else and I don't want them to find out about it. And yeah. it killed me. It killed me, man. I, I would do these things and I couldn't tell anybody about it except Tom. And uh, <laughs> But it was a great lesson. He was, he was showing me that, you know, doing the right thing because it's the right thing is a reward in itself. I, I, I got I to gotta share this th- this little story here about, about something that just happened here this week. Um, we live on a corner. And so there's a telephone pole on our corner. Now, I don't know what it is about people that own their own homes, but we seem to think that the property of the city belongs to us, even if it's not on our own property. Um, But anyway, so there it is on the corner. And somebody put this little tiny garage sale sign made out of cardboard and written in pencil. Now, I am a, uh, if I ever had to fall back on something, I'm a sign painter by trade. So that just drove me crazy. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're putting stuff on our telephone pole. And and then I thought, at the very least, they ought to make something you can read. And so my son said, well, Dad, what would Jesus do? And I looked at him and said, what? And he goes, he'd make him another sign. 
And I said, oh, okay. So we went out and got some poster board, and I made a, this big old honking sign. I didn't take theirs down, but I put it right above it, right? And I said, okay, we're not going to say anything. I hope nobody catches us because this will be so cool just knowing that they're going to go, who in the world would do that? You know, and uh, and so I, I haven't fallen back into the thing of, I, I wonder if they're wondering that or I, I wish they would kind of guess it was us or anything like that. This is what I fell back into. When are they going to take that stupid thing down? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. See, see. so there's many different sides to it. Oh, I know. I mean, we're not just a one mind. And we're not of just one self. I mean, yeah. we're a population of ourselves, aren't we? Oh, we are. We got a bunch of characters that live in these houses of ours. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a T-shirt that said uh, that said you're just jealous because the voices don't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. That's very good. All right. You know, what, we're, what we're asking people to do in recovery at this stage is to go against what's the natural instinct is to run away from discomfort. Yeah. See, none of us. We were all pain phobic. That's part of how we set ourselves up for addiction. I mean, we wanted to get away from pain. Yeah, we sure. To find the easier, softer way. And what I'm encouraging people to do is to put yourself right in the middle of that stress. Mm-hmm. Don't don't try to run away from it. Don't try to get it resolved. Let yourself stay in it and let it resolve itself naturally. And if you do that, if you can, if you can somehow tolerate that then what happens is is that all of a sudden you start to see that, you know what, this discomfort can be valuable, that there's something good that can come from my willingness to, to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Look, at that's one of the things we have to learn in recovery, isn't it, Monty? You bet. You bet. We've got to learn that somehow that, that pain isn't something that we always need to run away from. That pain can really help us grow in ways that we could have never imagined. So what I see happen is when people start to try these things to raise their differentiation, is they start growing. And now they start getting even more comfortable in their life. By being willing to feel your discomfort and to sit in it, not run away from it, you eventually become more comfortable. It's one of those paradoxes again. Now, in, um, in August, I'm going to be in Missouri at a retreat center, and we're doing a whole weekend on emotional sobriety. And uh, I'll be sending you some information on that. It's called the Recovery Enrichment Weekend. And uh, maybe we can post it on the uh, website, Monty. Absolutely. And if people want to come and spend the whole weekend working with me on these issues, they can come and join us down in uh, wonderful Missouri. 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 <laughs> Missouri. Heck, yeah. Heck yeah! Well, give me the information as soon as you can, and we'll we'll make an I'll audio. I'll send you that later tonight or tomorrow. All right. And uh, you know, uh, I'll be doing that retreat. I'm going to be uh, at Hazelton next year, also doing a retreat on emotional sobriety. And so there's going to be more and more opportunities coming up. And you know, maybe you and I can even do a retreat up there in uh, in your neck of the woods. Ah, that would be great. That would be super. If we can get these stubborn Oregonians to get their pull their heads out of a meeting once in a while. How about that? <laughs> well, that would be terrific. All right. So um, next week, uh, I'm going to be in Florida. Right. And uh, so we're going to be, and everybody has been notified that, that, that I can 
get my hands on um, that next week uh, there's plenty of archives to listen to. There's all sorts right. of stuff. We're going to be dark next week. The we'll week after week. that, we're going to have a radio show guest. Yes. I'm not sure who it's going to be yet. I'm hoping it's going to be Dr. John Amadeo, but if it's not John, then maybe it'll be Dan Griffin, but we'll get somebody else to join us and uh, to get some of their perspectives on this, some of this stuff. And then we're going to start to get into some other other theories, some other psychologists like uh, Fritz Perls and Nathaniel Brandon, who talk about this stuff from some different perspectives other than the differentiation. But as, mm-hmm. as our listeners are going to see, if they're all talking about the same thing, is how do you hold on to yourself in a relationship? And that's what we talked about tonight. So when I add more of myself while we're in this relationship, then what I'm doing is holding on to myself. And the listeners are going to hear me use that phrase a lot. And that's what it means. It means not getting lost in the connection that I'm able to be present. Eric Fromm defined mature love is when we have union with the preservation of integrity. And that's what Monty and I are trying to help you do, find union with your partner but by preserving your integrity. And I got to tell you, listeners, if you want to see an example of, and I'm I'm not trying to be cruel here, but if you want to see an example of somebody that needs differentiation, I can't even say it, differentiation, Watch Big Brother. Uh, <laughs> oh really? Oh my gosh! The, the, this this gal and this girl started a a showmance, they call it, and it wasn't real serious. It was it wasn't even touchy feely yet. Um, but he they've only known each other for two weeks, and he got um, kicked off the show because he lost a, a challenge or something, and she absolutely freaked. Her life is over. I'll never, I can't stay here. There's nothing I can do. What do I do with myself? And I'm like, if this isn't scripted, this is the worst case of emotional dependency I've ever seen. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, we're learning to do this stuff. We're doing this uh, step by step. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to um, stand on our own two feet uh, the only one that you can count on, my friends, 100% that isn't going to let you down, and, and, and that's God. You know, every, but everybody else, we're going to disappoint each other. We're going to, you know, and, and, and by the way, if you think God's going to do it your way, it's not that he's letting you down. It's just that he knows best. <laughs> and uh, we've got to learn to be able to unhook from uh, other people, places, institutions, and all that stuff. Um because we've got to. Otherwise, we are basing everything about us on outside influences. And that's not serenity. That just isn't. And uh, I'm just so so glad that we're doing this show. Thank you, Dr. Berger. Well, you're welcome, Bonnie, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to share this stuff with our readers. And like I said, if you want to learn more about this, then really tune in to, or pick up my book, 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone. Uh, you also get a lot of uh, similar ideas in my new book about uh, the 12 Hidden Rewards. And if you go on my website, there's some great audio CDs on this, unpacking Bill's letter on emotional sobriety and uh, directions of change and recovery. Uh, we got just a lot of wealth of great materials for you that if you want to enrich your recovery. And, and that website is right there on uh, this page that you're looking at, whether you're on your smartphone or on your computer. <coughs> Excuse me. It's uh, abphd.com, correct? 
That's right. And uh, within the next month or so, there's even going to be a new and improved version of that. Yeah. Uh, look forward to it. All right. All right, folks. Talk to you later. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.